What's up, guys? You are listening to Deja Who, the Lona podcast. You can now find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. All you have to do is go to the search bar and search Deja Who. Hey guys, so today I have a special guest on the Deja Who podcast. She is a artist, a um, website creator, an influencer of all sorts. Uh, she <laughs> <guess> runs so. <laughs> she runs the website blackgirlarts.com and uh, she's just really um, you know about the empowerment of black women, black artists all around in every form of art. Um, you can go ahead and introduce yourself or say your name if you want. I'm Josette Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> Got my government out there. Josette Fendi for the fans. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome, Josette. So, a little background about Josette, how I met her. Um, we actually met online, the internet. Um, we met on Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know who contacted who first, but um, this was back, what, like 2010, 2011-ish yeah. time? Like um, 20, like yeah, like 2011, like early 2011. Yeah, yeah. So this was the heyday of Tumblr where we had like actual like Tumblr celebrities and like OG Tumblr meetups. Right. You were mm-hmm. like, if they'd be like, hey, everybody meet in Union Square at 12.30. We're going to trade um, URLs. <laughs> IRL. Yo. URLs, IRL. Mad like- people getting people to send uh, money to GoFundMe for them to go oh. meet their lesbian lover across the right. universe. <laughs> Everyone was like, I need to go meet Sandrine. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, truly. And they would, like, make these compilation videos of, like, all their urus and yeah. vibe sessions. And, and then when like, they finally get to meet, yeah, that yeah. was a cute period in time before <laughs> Catfish was, ruined it. Yeah, it was, yeah. The Catfishes back then, they were savage, and they were getting bucks. They were. Jealous. <laughs> jealous. But, yeah. So, um, our friendship kind of started on the internet, and mm-hmm. I think it continued on the internet for a very long time before... We met IRL in real life, um, and, you know, now it's kind of transpired to, um, you know, this new type of relationship where, you know, she's created a platform to promote um, black creativity um, and really showcase it in a way that I think is undervalued, especially for people who don't have, you know, a mass amount of followers, a mass amount of, um, you know, clout from, you know, the just people who haven't been on the net promoting themselves for 10 years or whatever or that's a really cute light-skinned girl with curly hair as many of them are and they put one video out and they get 80,000 views and they're like "Mm, I just started like six months ago now I have 100,000 followers like you know (laughs) there aren't many places or avenues for people who are just you know really wanting to get their start and promote you know you know their their products what my they favorite want. i want to say like my favorite response to the question like what's your skin regimen is 
um soap and water <laughs> i'm like well why are you hosting like beauty tutorials then yeah. like get me a bitch with all types of shit on her face yeah. like, <laughs> and then it's so funny because when you see like those videos and those instagram posts of people they invite to like stuff like beauty con you're like mm-hmm. but they don't do beauty they do they comedy don't. they just they, wake up like they, they wake up or they have one like natural hair video right those girls with that one super popular recommended home stamp freaking tutorial of like how I flat iron my natural hair, how I do a three strand twist. I'm like with a million views. Like it's truly impossible. Like it's truly like I'm 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 like I don't know. Because I know for myself, like I've always wanted to put myself out there on the internet from a yeah. very young age. I always felt like I had something to say. I had something to contribute, you know, to society. But, you know, I, I don't even I can't even pinpoint why I didn't, I think I tried for a little bit in college because I was like, you know, I'm in college. This is like something to document. Right. And I did. And then I showed it to people and it was kind of like, I didn't like the reaction I got. Yeah. So it was hard to to keep pursuing something when I knew, one, I was already out there. So people would continue to look at my every move. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like, you know, I felt like I couldn't accurately be myself or portray what I wanted to portray out there because I just felt like, awkward about it. I think the hardest part about um, wanting to become like a personality online and having an idea and wanting to execute it online and stuff like that is first like not having the type of resources, not having the camera or the editing tools and stuff like that. And also like when you put your shit online people in person like people that you know like they make it known that they like (laughs) that they um that they see your artwork or they see like what you're putting out there oh yeah and they make it really (laughs) they make it really really apparent that they're watching you so all of a sudden like when you're online or not even like as you're shooting your content or whatever as you're shooting your content you're in your zone you're doing whatever you want but when you post it the the likelihood of you sharing it to like a mass populations are really writing for what you did and writing for your work, it, it diminishes because you know that people are watching you and people are judging you. So it makes that real real and like your anxiety gets all yeah. up in you, you know? I I can definitely attest to that because I <laughs> I remember a particular point in the breaking point of me being on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. So on Tumblr, I was on there, I didn't I wasn't a popular you know, Tumblr personality, but I did have a certain amount of followers, and I had, um, I was a very, um, I had a lot of people that I talked to back and forth, so it was kind of like a community for me, where, um, you know, if I would post something, you know, it would get a certain amount of, you know, likes and reblogs, and sometimes if I posted something, you know, at the time kind of popular, like a song that nobody posted um, before me, you know, it get more, you know, so... I had just a little small following, but a following nevertheless. Um, and so I remember one day I walked, was walking down the hall and like a friend that wasn't that close to me came up to me and was like, oh, I see like you posting like mm. these Janet Jackson posts. Like, mm, what is that about? So it wasn't mm. even particularly about the post, mm-hmm. but it was the fact that, you know, I didn't even know she had a Tumblr. Yeah. I didn't know any. <laughs> I don't know. The th- I never had pictures of my people face. people were mad incognito. My, my, my URL was not my name, so I'm kind of confused. I'm like, how do you know it's me? Mm-hmm. So I just was like flabbergasted. I was like, eh, oh, my God. And then soon after that, other people from my school started to follow me. 
and um, then I felt obligated to follow Yo, them back. And back then, <laughs> back then we didn't know that was a good thing. Yeah. Because their follows lead to more people, you know, and their interactions with us. Like I think one of my biggest mistakes from back when I used to do YouTube videos and shit like that, I never posted shit on you Facebook because yeah. I didn't want my personal friends or like. I didn't just I didn't want that Facebook crew to know what I was doing on Tumblr. Like everything was so secret and I was so adamant that okay, maybe it will catch on on Tumblr and stuff like that. But that's just not the case if you don't if you don't have that one friend who has like a million followers yeah. on Tumblr. But like with Facebook, what I'm seeing now is that that's how you got like YouTube views and like people sharing. Not well back then on Facebook, you couldn't really share anything. But, like, people maybe copying your URL and saying, yeah. look what Joe Seth's doing. Look at what my friend from school's doing yeah. and shit like that, you know? So Yeah, I I agree. It's now, um, there's way more notoriety in becoming mm-hmm. an online personality. Right. Like, today, right now, in D.C., there is a whole summit for internet influencers. So, you got the... Fousey tubes, the um oh my gosh, everyone, Laura DIY, um that dude who plays Barack Obama. Do you know? Remember him? I can't remember his name, but no. he like always mo- um uh does like a spoof of Barack Obama. You He's know, from DC. No, they're in DC. Oh, they're in. DC. They're in DC for a summit. Oh. You got Hey Friend, Hey. Hey Friend, um, Hey. Yes. You know, I just seen really popular mm-hmm. people, and you're bringing them to a place like the White House. You know, that's something two, three years ago was oh not God, really, yeah. you know, needed or looked House, at. Yeah, it wasn't even like, but because before, because like, for real, for real, now, like, I realized yesterday when I got home, my mom was playing the Channel 5 News, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there watching it, I'm like, news is mad interesting. Like, you know, <laughs> and I, I freaking got a TV antenna right, right. so I could watch the news. Right, and then it's crazy to have that thought when like news is like so like the television is so foreign to me right now Mm -hmm. like as a person I can't even like think of like the last time I sat down well since I've been on break I've been watching a lot of tv Mm -hmm. but like when I'm on my own and shit like I'm steady like Netflix Hulu Facebook is my news yeah (laughs) which is terrible it's very terrible like but like these major media outlets they they're just people riding on their own opinions as well. Yeah. So, but fake fake news on Facebook is lethal. <laughs> I it's it's to the point like I'm so confused. I'm mm-hmm. very confused as to why I I log on to the because I, I only use the app on my phone. I right. Da- I dare not use the computer because that's truly like what the heck is going on. But they have like these automated things. Like the it's just so confusing and it's so out of my league. I'm you know, and. I think as someone who wants to become someone on the internet as an internet influencer, mm-hmm. your first thought is, how do I promote myself on every single platform that I have? Right. And how do I cater to the audience I have on that platform? Yeah. So, to go on, like, whatever specific platform, like, a Facebook, mm-hmm. so you really have to cater to the non-denominational, you have to cater to the PG-13s and under, because you want something that can be shared thousands and thousands, thousands of, of times time. and the only content that is getting shared is one that is not ex- non-explicit that's universal that people feel mm-hmm. like they can relate to and that's something really generic and can be um con- condensed into a short period of time yeah. you know because no one really has that attention span anymore to truly you know 
stay tuned to a video, you right. know, unless it's something that they real that they're yeah. like they sought out. You know, yeah, yeah, we yeah. can't we can't forget those people. But yeah, yeah definitely. There's there's the uh, really viral videos like the one this past week where the child um saved his little brother under the um dresser. Mm, Have you seen yeah. that? My mom was talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I was at the gym and it was on CNN. So mm. you know, and it's interesting um to see videos like that. And so when when talk. I think uh, seeing the backlash from mm -hmm. really popular videos is also very telling of your audience because yeah. on a website like Facebook, there's all these positive comments saying, you know, oh my gosh, the brothers, they were really, he was really smart. That's such an intelligent mm -hmm. child, you know, and then you go to a place like Twitter where, you know, there's of course people that are continuing praising it, but then what some may call like black Twitter, you see all these comments and threats talking about if this was a black child, parents, the parents would have been called, the CPS would have been called on the parents. Word. So you definitely see on these different networks what what really can. Um, but where, but it's, I don't, because I didn't watch the video. I heard mm -hmm. my mom talking about it. But I'm like, who's filming that? Who if they had cameras it? in the room. They had cameras like a baby in the room. room. Okay, never mind. Never yeah, mind, okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, was someone filming this? <laughs> no. So it was like a, um, I, I could show you. A after. monitor. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah. a monitor. And so the child, ch mm -hmm. you know how children climb on stuff. So it, was, it wasn't that low of a dresser. Mm -hmm. But they were like climbing in the drawers. And one twin, it fell on like his front half of his body. Yeah. The other twin kind of escaped. And so the twin eventually pushed the dresser off of him. So that oh, was kind of how okay, the whole video okay. went. It was about two minutes long. So, um, but I just think it's so interesting because, you know, and that's actually true. I feel like for a lot of families, if a video is promoted and seen, mm -hmm. um, often if there's a person of color, there'll be negative comments, negative aspects seen in any, you can post a picture. Yeah. It's just, you know, I don't mean, want to go into that. But main, I mean, the main <laughs> uh, example of that is Harambe. Oh, <laughs> which like I did not understand. I never thought it was a thing, and maybe because yep. I'm so secluded to myself. Yeah. But it was this whole—it's this whole feeling, this whole emotion about the killing of an animal. Right. And so not just the killing of putting down of an animal, but it's putting down the animal that was maybe possibly endangering a child. Right. And so it wasn't even it's that like, much. It's like this whole like miraculous video about like a child getting saved from a gorilla or like you know this person who shoots the gorilla having mm -hmm. amazing like aim not to shoot the child but like but then it became like it got flipped and it became like this whole like national campaign about like yeah. you know this gorilla who got killed yeah. and how he's when you're missing Harambe. the complete fact that yeah. there are animals held in captivity for your entertainment in the right first they place. are in the first place so <laughs> i mean where are you really concerned about right you know, are you concerned about making a meme which i you know this culture of creating atmosphere where everything is a joke a and nothing joke. is serious yeah, that's hard. and i think it creates this mindset where mm -hmm. we're not thinking about the really important things mm -hmm. like today kind of spoke about it on twitter but i um went back on it but it was um just me kind of discussing how you know there are so many people in my area that are really in need of help and need of assistance but yet i go online and i see so many people talking about irrelevant things on one hand i feel like i can't really judge someone because they're talking about you know whatever they want to talk about mm -hmm. but i feel like 
it's a problem when I feel like there's literally no movement. There's no togetherness to better the situations for the mass population of your area. Because there's right. articles posted every single day talking about how many people cannot afford to live in the District of Columbia. That is such a freaking big problem because they are bringing in, they're really catering now to mm-hmm. the young professional. Because many apartments, businesses, and homes, their contract with like, um, not even subsidized housing, but maybe subsidized housing, or where they've had a contract with the government or um, the federal uh, corporation to have a certain amount of apartments for mm-hmm. low-income housing. Now, their their run is up with that contract, so now they're like, we can afford to charge what the young, you know, professional will want. And most of the times, that young professional is lighter than paper, baby. Because really, I, I, I truly am astonished when I go through what used to be my home Mm-hmm. and see so many people displaced. Yeah. They are taking our homes, our houses, our row houses, and turning them into multi-million, you know, properties. And so that forces people who used to live there to have to go other places. And they're not able to afford, you know, anywhere relatively close to where they used to live because it's just mm-hmm. so, so expensive. And then once the ha- housing becomes so expensive, everything around it becomes expensive because you start putting up things like Whole Foods and really expensive grocery yeah. stores. And even now, I'm really seeing um, this culture of people starting to shop at Aldi's, which yeah. Aldi's has always been a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. As you know, a person of circumstance, Aldi's was a place you go to get your 10 cans of beans for 50 cents. Yeah. Aldi's was always a place to go to get that whole box of fruit for $4. But now I'm seeing it where, you know, people, there's so many people going to Aldi's that the the quality and the quantity of food that's there mm-hmm. has really gone down. And, you know, it's just really disheartening to see that, you know, my community is being slowly taken away from me that and it's in a way that I can't really do anything about it because you know I don't have the clout I don't have the community connectivity to figure out who to say something to so I mean that doesn't really go along with the internet thing but it's like in my mind I'm just like so confused as to how people are not able to see what's really going in their eyes like it's just like it's it's because like a lot of people who are like to be real, um, a lot of people who are using the internet, like, in our area and stuff like that, I mean, even though, like, say, we're from a densely populated area of mainly African Americans, but a lot of these African Americans are more so well-to-do or more so about their own agenda rather mm-hmm. than, like, a community feel. Yeah. Like, because, like, I could easily be a part of that because coming from where I come from, having moved to so many different places and stuff like that, I really never was raised with a sense of community. Mm-hmm. Like, this is my home, but it's not... Like, like when people would say, oh, born and raised, you know, I would never say, like, this is where I grew up. Even though when I come back now and I see, like, old towns and old areas that I used to live, it it is, like, a feeling of nostalgia and, like, and, like a feeling of, like... Like, it's like a somber feeling, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel I definitely remember this place like XYZ amount of years ago mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I would never say like, oh, this is this is like 
where I'm from. You know, this yeah. is my area. I mean, I would now, but like <laughs> sometimes I don't be feeling that way. I mean, because mainly because I was a, a kid of circumstances. You know, just like just like a person who. <laughs> Like, lived all types of places, but within the same town. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So it's not like, you know, everyone who probably is feeling like a sense of community for where we're from, it's my phone. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) For our town probably has more resources than the average person. Yeah. For real, for real. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's true. And that's something I've been thinking about more and more on a personal note mm-hmm. about being a person of circumstance. I feel like that has truly um, curbed my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, now more than ever, I realize that I make certain decisions um, solely based on the fact that I know what it is like to live without, without many, many, many things. Right. Like I never knew there were people out here just living with like so much assistance from their families and so much backing and they're so protected by their families i i i mean i guess maybe on some level i knew that there was there but you know truly i wasn't like you know keen to it you know Mm -hmm. like there are people out here who have their parents that are able to like pay for their cars and stuff like that and it's not even people that are like overtly wealthy you know these are your average you know people that work a government job of uh, you know a comfortable living mm-hmm. but they're able to help their child in that way and so that's not to say that my parents didn't do a lot of a lot to help me but it just wasn't in the same way it was more of like words of encouragement influence of knowledge less material things and so I feel like I kind of take that uh that agenda as well because when you know I have like a, a person mm. near me growing up you know I'm kind of like I'd rather give them something meaningful as mm-hmm. opposed to materialistic, you know, because I feel like I, I don't like to waste things. So that like what you're saying is mad interest, like really interesting because it's so strange, like the difference between sorry, the difference between rich, middle class, poor and poverty, yeah. but also the difference between how people view themselves and how people carry themselves. And, like, in school, because for real, for real, like, when I was in school, that was the only time I communicated with other children. Mm-hmm. Like, school or daycare. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people could say the <laughs> same, but, like, nah, I never spoke to anyone in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, where I lived at, I didn't know shit about my neighbors. I didn't know shit about the people who lived up the street from me, upstairs from me, downstairs from me, across the street from me. They were all just, like, faces with no names, Mm -hmm. barely ever faces, because no one was ever outside in these neighborhoods I lived at. So Mm -hmm. I was never sure of the type of living situations that other people lived in Mm -hmm. who lived in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And when I went to school, kids never talked about their home life but for some reason, I always felt like we were on the same level. You mm-hmm. know, I never really considered myself as poor growing up because when I was when I would go to school, like kids were never like talking about their um, disadvantages as much as they mm-hmm. do in college. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like in college, the pity party starts and <laughs> and like 
being disadvantaged and not having enough and like uh-huh. don't hate me because I'm rich like it yeah. starts that really yeah, happens yeah, so yeah, like yeah. when you're a kid every kid's like oh look at my new sneakers but low-key they don't have shit in their house to eat yeah. like you know we all want to like portray the best things going on in our life cause right. when we're kids because we're really positive and we're like like as black kids too like we're just really about like the best ways to like portray ourselves and you we know? have to work as Many people say twice as hard to get on the same level yeah. as someone who is not a person of color. You know, to, to just apply to college and be on that same standard of living. You know, you can watch as many videos online as you want to about, you know, a, you know, a white, per- a, a white person found out, you know, they only got into college because they came from a very poor city, but they were white, and so they chose them. Like, there's just so much information out there on how undervalued and under-resources our community is mm-hmm. and how much we have to do, you know, just to be on a certain level. You got like, the smartest, brightest child, but somehow they ended up in a really poor city in a really under-funded um, school, school program. Yeah. You know, it's just like... You know, it's just it's It's like how in this one county, like I forgot where it is, like maybe like Boston, Mm -hmm. I think the only good schools in this neighborhood was the charter schools because and then these charter schools was created out of like an equal schooling act type of thing because a lot of the black kids they wanted to get into white neighborhoods because white neighborhoods have better schools period Mm -hmm. better books better resources better programs period it's not even about the kids being white or the kids being black the only thing that changes around the race of a child is the way that people treat them period Mm -hmm. so that like so the charter schools are the only good things there so they told the story first from the perspective of this charter school that's trying to keep their doors open. Now that times have changed, they're trying to work to get more white kids into this school, mm-hmm. you know? So that they're, so they're going to other towns and they're talking to parents and they have all these, they're putting all this funding into advertising and having these commercials about, oh, your kid could get a great education at such and such charter school, mm-hmm. you know? And the white parents do not want their kids going to that town to go to school, at all they don't they don't not at all they're like oh not on the bad side of town no never Mm -hmm. not my child i don't give a fuck what kind of aquarium you got in the fucking charter school (laughs) no but the fact that they have to keep schools integrated quote unquote they need a certain quota of white students in black schools and black students in white schools the charter school is working as hard as they can to get more white kids into this school whereas you know, flip the switch, the black kids in the neighborhood that want higher education in a better, in the fucking aquarium having school, Mm -hmm. atrium having school with the full Mm -hmm. balcony and the heated uh, green house, you know, and shit like that to learn science. They can't get into that school because it met its quota for black students and they're Mm -hmm. keeping seats open for white kids for funding. And it's so so real. That's so... (laughs) That's so, so crazy. Yeah. Because it's that's this idea of, like, what was it called? Like, affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it had to be a certain number of black people 
in this office, in this department, in order for them to maybe continue to keep their doors open. Right. And continue to be like, oh, we're okay. But yet, once that child or that person gets that job, you know, they're literally looked at like scum or not taken as seriously as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. Their, their voice is not heard, you know, at all. So I think it's like, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't care for it. I know that I have experienced different school life and situations coming from, um, you know, a pretty well-off county of, like, Virginia schools where there was so much opportunity, there were so many activities, there was just so much given to the children. And, yes, there was a majority of white students, but there was maybe about 20 to 30% of people of color, and I say mm-hmm. people of color, like, of any color in the schools and so you know there was a healthy balance there were you know segregation in certain places certain schools different grades but it was still like everyone was kind of given that Mm -hmm. equal opportunity there wasn't seen as someone um or any teachers or any administration really giving priorities to a certain number of students Mm -hmm. so i think in that aspect it was great then i you know my last year to two years of uh high school I ended up going to a predominantly black high school. And that was not such a difference because it's not like I've never been around my people of color. But it was such a difference in the school-wise. Because there you could really see how they really chose or provided only the best for students they deemed valuable. Yeah, They really in high school pick the children who they think or they thought would do the best in life yeah and it truly was a disadvantage to someone who you know wasn't that outspoken mm-hmm. wasn't really you know putting themselves putting themselves out there um and so they really didn't get any treatment towards you know bettering their lives or giving them a step up mm-hmm. and it's not saying that these kids that they chose weren't you know good students but i'm saying they literally chose a specific group of children to promote and give the best opportunities to take them to conferences to put them in the college um education classes to give them you know vouchers to take the sats you know when other students found this information out you know most kids didn't really care because that's how it's always been in this you know area oh yeah but to come from somewhere where you know everyone's giving a shot you know you have to work for these things it's blasphemy like like coming from like six different elementary schools in this same fucking town and like i went to one high school then i went to uh, no i went to one middle school then i went to two different high schools i can really say that the whole structure of these kids get more and we have to pick and choose what we do for y'all because we don't got that much to begin with. It <laughs> goes un- goes far back even until kindergarten type shit. Like, <laughs> like yo, because, I mean, like, my first school, mm-hmm. it was basically like, um, like, basically like an international program mm-hmm. for students who, like, immigrated to America. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Oh, where are you from? I'm from Panama. Ah! <laughs> I did a report on Panama in, um, like, elementary school. It's funny. But, but, like, the whole, I mean, but this wasn't even, like, supposed to be like that. I'm pretty sure there were mad, like, kids who were from America Mm -hmm. in these classes. But anyway, it was one classroom, 
with with grades from first grade to fifth grade and it was the weirdest schooling i ever had in my life and it was like it was it was pretty crazy what yeah first to fifth grade first to fifth grade in one classroom they used to like okay um everyone in kindergarten come to this part of the class and we will go to the side of the class and do math you know while the other students did something else and i think that's probably where i picked up drawing and stuff because Mm -hmm. when we weren't doing shit we Mm -hmm. were like oh here take these crayons paint you know and then our teacher would meet with us like like we will have we will have like reviews or something like that so she would call us one by one to the back of the class Mm -hmm. um to like go over our whatever the fuck i don't know but school was weird so i I went to (laughs) I went to schools like that, and then, like, after that, being a kid who was always, like, fresh and new to the school Mm -hmm. never really gave me a chance to, like, build relationship with teachers and stuff like that. So the teachers really didn't give a fuck about me, you know? Mm -hmm. They they always um, looked out more so for the kids that they knew already, Mm -hmm. you know? And then the kids that they saw grow up. Mm-hmm. And the kids that were, like, oh, in honors class or in TAG, mm-hmm. like, they studied that shit from young TAG. And then you had your reading groups that mm-hmm. were, like, this is the better reading group than the other one. And you know it because yeah. that nigga's in this one. And yeah. you're, like... <laughs> it's, and yeah. it's really, it's really uh, uh, kind of telling of society because mm-hmm. they really do pick and pinpoint who they think will maybe profit their community the best. Mm. So that's interesting because from a very young age... You know, you could say that, you know, someone in kindergarten really hasn't been exposed to certain books that they enjoy, so maybe they're not the best reader. They're being exposed to only one category of books. You know, I wasn't really a fan of, like, sci-fi and things like that. I was really a fan of, you know, like, the Maya Angelou's To Kill Mm -hmm. a Mockingbird. Um, What were those little books that we used to read? Um, And it was, like, the Black High School. Do you remember them? Oh, my gosh. They were, like, in every school it was about a black high school? No, it was like a series. Like, it was like, you know, like, they have, like, goosebumps, but it was like a series of, like, black kids in high school, and there were different stories. I gotta look. I remember that. And it what was is like, it called? I don't know. <laughs> but, but it, it was, was so, I think school. it, I think the protagonist was some girl, and yeah. every, every book cover used to have her, like, looking mad shady with, yeah. like, a book in her arm. By a locker right? walking yeah. down the hallway. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I feel like it was, like, something high. Oh, my gosh. It was, like, blue side high. I gotta figure that out. I gotta figure it out. Because that book was that in every familiar. single school. Every single school. But so, you know, and it was just amazing. But again, you know, the the, the trouble is that people, um, you know, pinpoint things in children. And they mm-hmm. feel like they figured them out. And they feel like, feel like, you know, adults feel like they know best. And they, they're the one that know everything. When, you know, children are such smart, resilient people, Mm -hmm. you know, as we've seen in recent times where we see, you know, these videos of children just, just, just being so intelligent, just maybe not from things they've heard, but just them, them, you know, creating um, Mm -hmm. things. And so, you know, to have a, 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 an adult, you know, really pinpoint you and designate you to only do this one thing and feel like you're only good in this one area is going to continue to Mm. perpetuate this idea as you go forth in life so in life you really never have made your own decisions you've only kind of followed things you know maybe not all the way but i think in for a long period of time especially in school like government regulated going to school Mm -hmm. you're so 
uh, you know, limited, especially when you don't have a lot of resources, because you think the only way for me to succeed is the only way for me to get scholarships, the only way for me to go to college, the only way for me to get a good job, the only way to, for me to really make something of myself is I continue to do what I've always been doing and be the best in it. When it's so sad that people really aren't really discovering their talents that are outside of the core curriculum, yeah. especially now where they have this thing like, um, what is it called? Something core. It's a really weird way they do schooling now. Common, common core. It's, you know, it's just like they're creating, a, they're, they're just changing things in a way that I think is um, not really native to, to learning and native to people themselves and native to figuring out how people learn because people are more than just, you know, visual and auditory learners. We're able to feel, touch, and, you know, really absorb the information. And I think, you know, learning should be more of something that you can relate to as a part of memorizing. Because once you memorize something for a test, you forget after you're done the test. Because it's like, what the what's the point of me remembering this information? I mean, and then that's something that's very, like, to me, I think that's something that's very... Per- perpetuated in white schools Mm -hmm. because these negroes (laughs) they grew up having all types of skills and shit and end up you know going into craft bear when Mm -hmm. (laughs) after college and making america's first craft bear samuel adams like shit like that like but yeah blueford high (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah look look Mad shady with the textbook. Yeah. Mad shady with the textbook. Yo, that's what they were called. <laughs> Blue for high. I'm sorry. If you out there were in high school in the year or in school period in the years of like 2000s, early 2000s, <laughs> there was a series of books called Blue Furred High. Oh my gosh. It's so funny how like you you think you've forgotten everything you, you've ever thought of. Like, and this just like came up in my head. I was like, those books okay yeah i please, used to read a lot of please british look books. up blue for high what <laughs> i used to read a lot of british books really like mm-hmm. what like um there was this one book that i can't fucking find it anymore and it's mm-hmm. called like girls night out or something and it was a series of books and, and then the main character was named ellie or something like that and she was an artist and she had she had anorexia in the first Did book. she wear all black? I don't remember. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I remember her wanting to, like, lose her virginity or some shit. And this bitch had to be, like, 14, 15. And she had met this guy in the art store where she worked at. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be me. Like, <laughs> Wow. Okay, yeah. I, I, I kind of read a little bit of everything. I was mm-hmm. always just in the library reading Yeah, books. me too. But I Library think, was my babysitter. Look. <laughs> truly the like you can't go wrong with a the library there because at the time i think since there weren't really like mm-hmm. I mean, people obviously had computers in their homes but it was like your My mama ain't paying no <laughs> that and your mama ain't paying no bill for you to be using her phone line right you know? right so, you know the library you go you scan your credit card i mean your library card or mm-hmm. you put in your number so you can get you know time an hour and most of the time you had to have like 10 people in front of you and you was like you brought your little sister or cousin and was like mm-hmm. all right you go log on that that one and we see who gets the computer first so then y'all both get the computer and y'all should be like all right let's go to prats.com and then we could go to this <laughs> you know so honestly, truly, you could spend a lot of time in the library. That was like yeah. where what I was grew up we from talking school. about. 
We was definitely <laughs> talking about people making everything a joke and memes <laughs> and not yeah. wanting to make social change and stuff. But yeah, so um, <laughs> it truly goes. It's around. hard. It and people. It's just like I don't know. The I think the craziest thing about social media is that mm-hmm. social media is very social. Like mm-hmm. it's very about what we care about, and then what we care about kind of like signifies like what everyone else cares about in a way. So for a moment, everyone's on this topic until it becomes something that no one else that people aren't really thinking about anymore. Mm-hmm. And it 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 weighs more than mm-hmm. when the media will pick up one subject and then drop it because it's kind of like you could you could kind of see the lull in information about like let's say Aleppo. For like one second mm-hmm. Aleppo was the hot topic on social media mm-hmm. and everyone was like CNN, NBC, why aren't you guys talking about this? No one's talking about this. Oh my god. Like oh my god, like these kids they're getting bombed and blah blah blah. And like I was really into it. I was just like, "Oh my god, this shit is crazy. Like what the fuck is going on?" And then now I go on the computer and it's like nothing about Aleppo. It's like it never happened. And like, it's so, so weird. crazy because <laughs> I really saw social network play mm-hmm. such a big part in the news. Yeah. And such a big part in the image that's portrayed as what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Because who is now our pre- president-elect, shall not be named, his... Reality his, TV show star. Reality... <laughs> first of all, we're a voyeuristic uh, body yep. of society. We are so interested in what our next door neighbor, what everyone is freaking doing. The most popular shows, popular people on the internet are people that show parts of their lives, parts of who they are. From get ready with me routines because you see how their day is, to people who (laughs) vlog every single part Mm -hmm. of their day, to people who put their heart and soul into music, to people who tweet about it, to people who post... 20 videos saying they're going to fight somebody and they're really like, oh, I want to see this fight happen. You know, we're right. so sucked in. Or like, w- let's let's not forget the people <laughs> who fucking post videos, I mean, who like have live feeds and live yeah. streams of them playing which video is, games which is and talking. Crazy. <laughs> like, you're literally just watching someone else play a game. But I think coming with we are voyeuristic society mm-hmm. we're also very lonely because every single person not every single person but majority of the people that are like tweeting talking watching viewing mm-hmm. they're somewhere alone alone and so they feel like by communicating with this you know internet online community mm-hmm. with people who watch the same content mm-hmm. they're not alone yeah. so people tend to watch videos of people talking for long periods of time eating like mukbang and these different type of asmr you know yeah. these really are this really is a, a a world of content designed for people who don't want to feel alone and yeah. many people don't recognize it because they feel like it's so um ordinary and everyday to life because we're so used to just being mm-hmm. on our phones alone because even if you're there with someone and you're talking online you're alone because yeah. you're inside your own head and you're not communicating verbally with that person mm-hmm and I think for me, that's a, a reason I kind of stepped away from the internet and stepped away from, um, you know, just speaking my own thoughts. Because it got very weird where I felt like I wasn't accurately portraying myself. I was portraying a person online who I thought people would, you know, like. And okay. it's not saying that I did anything, but I would 
censor myself right in order to be more feasible mm-hmm. or gain you know more palatable more palatable you know to the community i was mm-hmm. trying to connect with and it's kind of i think for people detrimental because you kind of have people who have constantly lived their life this way mm-hmm. so I think at some point they're going to reach this point where they really don't know who they are mm-hmm. and start to really spiral because as you get older and maybe these social networks become less important, you start to have to figure out who am I and what do I truly like because for such a long period of time, you ingested all this content and you thought, this is what I like, but you know, when that content's gone, you know, is that what really, really what you like? Is that really what you enjoy? Because... I think along with the thing, I think I talked about in the last episode where mm-hmm. so many people were saying 2016 was their worst year. And I yeah. don't feel like that was accurate. Mm-hmm. I feel like we kind of hopped onto that idea and we pushed... After someone else said yeah. it, yeah. Like, I see so many things about it and it's just like we kind of hopped on this idea when really, you know, you say it was the worst year you've had, but really, you know, have you been having good years? Have you been continually you know, working towards a goal, uh, mm-hmm. working towards something personally? Or have you been kind of going along through the motions, you know, and yeah. continuing to not really, you know, look at yourself and look at the world in an accurate way? Mm-hmm. But instead, you're, you know, just online, continuing day back and forth, back and forth, you know, not really making anything of substance. And it's kind of like, I don't know. This is what I've been kind of thinking about because with this, new avenue that I'm trying to pursue mm-hmm. I think it's me trying to reveal myself more and my thoughts more yeah because I've been so closed out and um you know really just setting myself off from talk, saying what I really want to say mm-hmm. but I think you know there was a time in the past year where I really had someone bring me out of character bring me out my character mo I had to put the pause on them and I was like you know I'm going to tell you everything I wanted to tell you since I knew you. And so that kind of... this? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'll tell you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was kind of like, why for so long have I held myself off from, you know, speaking my accurate opinion? It's because mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, maybe it wasn't worth saying or maybe they weren't going to really take it in any form that was useful. And so I feel like that's true for a lot of people who post stuff online and a lot of content i've seen a lot of videos of people saying like i'm gonna take a break for youtube from youtube or you know taking the social media break yeah which is you know i think it's good but i think you know for such a large part of society we're still so hungry for that content you know there's that one group of people that want family that you know one of the family members just came back on the internet kim kardashian and people were hungry (laughs) they were living for a photo living for a post and that's so scary to see that so many people rely on happiness from another human being that they'll never see touch or speak to and a lot of that happiness comes from being able to tear that person down yeah because without kim kardashian posting shit and stuff like that you can't talk about her daughter her son her husband you know her features what she got done you know it's kind of like it's different (laughs) yeah and it's like 
it's they're so easy to tear down because mm-hmm. they're unreachable. They're unattainable. They are. And they're at such a high standpoint that they feel like, oh, I can say all this I want about this person and it won't make a difference because they have all this money, all this clout in life. Which for some may be true, but I think on, at some level, you have to recognize that this is a person. Yeah. This is a person that and lives I, and breathes and is normal just like you. And at some point, you got to realize that it's only doing... It's doing a lot more to you than it is to them because yeah. the energies and the information and the viewpoints that you put out into this world is only there for your representation. So mm-hmm. the people in your circle, maybe you're completely anonymous online. Maybe you're doing that. But like, let's say you're the everyday average Joe and you want to talk shit about some girl who just posted a sex tape or some girl who <laughs> just did some shit like that <laughs> and you want to talk shit about her. Mm-hmm. You're only showing women that you oh you're only showing the people around you that you probably can't be trusted with that sort of information. Mm-hmm. Maybe your sister was coming was gonna come and hit you with that tea about some <laughs> shit she been in too and she wanted to let you know that she's safe and some shit like that. Maybe you won't get that now uh-huh. because you just put it out there that you hate it so much. Like you know, it's just like Yeah. Yeah, I try to I try to keep it low key with my opinions and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Just cause I wanna know what's going on. Tell me. Let me yeah. know. Like you know like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel that way so much. I I think I've just been trying to slowly get away from that mm-hmm. because I think it's doing myself more harm than good. Yeah. Because then you start to, like, talk to yourself because who else are you going to talk to about this situation mm-hmm. or talk to about your opinions? You know, obviously, the, you know, people have certain people that they can find in, in their lives, but sometimes you, you maybe be in a situation where you feel like your opinion is just so far from, you know, what people deem as acceptable. Right. That you, you know, you kind of just hold it in so much and you get into a pattern of, of restraining your thoughts and your ideas for fear of, you know, what can come of it. Yeah. I mean, and that type of shit is harmful too because then it's like, then you never resolve those emotions. Yeah. Like, it, it's fucked up when you put shit out there in the world and you don't expect people to critique you off the bat yeah. and, like, try to have a decent, like, one, one-on-one, one you know, type of discussion with you. That's bad enough that you don't want to accept no criticism, you know, but then you keeping it in and stuff like that and not even, like, letting it go. Yeah. Like, you always come back to the same fucking thoughts and shit like that. You're just hurting yourself sometimes so i mean i guess putting letting shit air out and putting it out there is better than keeping it in but what i want to say for those people who like you know they like to because i had a stint this summer where okay one one friend of mine made a post and she was like okay if your white friends if your white or non-black poc friends say nigger um they don't care about black people. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and then, so mm-hmm. this one girl replied, debatable, you know? So <laughs> what is debatable about that? This is her fucking feelings, you know? So then we, so then, you know, she was trying to say debatable, how? You know, then she started making her assessment and her judgments and stuff like that. And basically when I hopped in it, I was like, that's cool for you, you know? But personally, I would like to say 
that like I made up a rhetorical situation. Let's say that me and her were at a bar and this white guy, he says nigga around me and I want to fight him. I have the right to fight him, you know, because he personally offended me. Mm-hmm. But if you want to stand on the side and not throw hands with me, that's your choice too, mm-hmm. you know? But she wasn't getting that. She's like, oh, you got to bring violence into everything, blah, blah, blah. Trying to paint me as the angry black girl and stuff like that. <sighs> and I'm like, no shade, no tea, but you're not even letting people talk for themselves. So you're kind of being the irrational angry right. black girl too. Like, you know, so right. she tried to bring in, you know, how language changes and how, like, feelings towards languages change over time. And I'm it's, like, obviously, <laughs> the word nigga... It's changed from, like, who the fuck we was on our birth certificate to what the fuck we say to each other sometimes, you know? And personally, I didn't even think she was the type of black person who should have been saying nigga her damn self. Because I don't know (laughs) if she had the proper accent or inflections to even say nigga without sounding dumb. Like, you know, I mean, I think if you can't say black person, then you probably can't say nigga. Because there's some people who can't call people black. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird when they say it. I saw um this this freaking comedian. What's right. his name? Prince, Prince, Chris D- Dessa, Chris Dinsa. Who's that? Chris, Chris Mensa. I don't know. He's a white comedian, okay. and he used to play on like this show, like Chloe or Chelsea or something. Mm-hmm. And then he said something about he's like I I feel for those black men um with those scars and gla- oh my god I want to find the tweet because. He he said something, and I was just like, I don't know how to feel about this because I agree with what he said, but he said black man, and I was like, I tuned out. I was like, what? <laughs> how dare you? What? <laughs> Yo, but for real, for what? real, in my everyday life, people constantly say nigga around me, like white, I mean, not constantly, mm-hmm. okay, not constantly, but sometimes people say nigga around me, and I literally do nothing, you know? And that's my ba- that's my biggest, like, clap back to them it's just looking over at me and noticing i'm doing nothing but it because it's like in the circle of in the ripple effect that Mm -hmm. happens in a room when a white person say nigga it's enough for them to know that they should not be saying that shit because it's so funny because they'd be like oh yeah my nigga my nigga and then like everyone in the room is like boop 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 heads start to lead to wherever I am and everyone's looking at me like I'm supposed to do some shit and I look at them I'm like you dug your grave go lay in it like you know like I don't give a fuck about you like you know so his tweet was his it's Chris Della. Oh, you've seen him. Delia. He's Delia. the one that calls himself the black guy. He says really? he, he's I think he calls himself like the whitest black guy. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> that makes it worse. Oh god. His tweet is bald black guys with sunglasses and scarves. No deep secrets that could crush the world, but they are cool with the power and don't abuse it. So like I agree with the tweet, but like bald black guys like i feel like he is someone who says bald or black a lot which because that's his thing yeah because he he has this type of voice yeah that he does uh to white people and i guess to some tone deaf black people Mm -hmm. he does a good black guy impression so he calls himself the whitest black comedian wow and (laughs) so he he (laughs) does that a lot and that's his whole shtick and I feel like that type of, that tweet right there is supposed to be, like, one of those, like, I'm not really saying shit type <laughs> of tweets. I'm just putting words together. Right. Like, you know, it's it's kind of, it's kind of dumb. 
Yeah. Because I'm wondering, who are these black guys with, like, scarves? I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like I do see black. them. They're, like, the common Hotep the one ones. Is. Oh, Hotep. Yeah. yeah. Which, honestly, I truly don't know what Hotep means. I've tried to look it up. But you just, I think I feel like it's a vibe. I feel like it's a vibe. <laughs> so, like, if there's a true definition, someone hit me. But I feel like people in high yeah. school. Okay, but the thing is, like, <laughs> who came up with this term, Hotep? But, like, I don't know. Yo, it's kind of <laughs> like how the the term uh massage noir like it 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 got it had a resurgence online because there were like these mad scholarly like black feminists online. It's just like yo, I like that <laughs> word. So hotep kind of comes from that type of wow. shit. Like it's, you know, mad organic looking ass black yeah. nigga who's probably not that organic. Yeah, like, like <laughs> oh, I, it's it's just it's just crazy, completely crazy how. You know, things just grow a butt and become, like, so many other things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just crazy. But uh, I think that's about the end of our talk. <laughs> I mean, I think we could go on and on and on. We really but, could. baby girl, we don't got the bandwidth for all that. Thank you so much for being here on my podcast. No um, problem. And you want to give a shout-out to your links where people can find you? <laughs> okay. Um, You could find Black Girl Arts at facebook.com backslash forward slash front slash i don't know the slash but the slash <laughs> um black girl arts and you can find us on instagram black girl black girl arts twitter black girl arts and you can find me at just fendi at facebook and that's it <laughs> okay and i will definitely um make sure i get links in the down bar but it was so amazing to have this conversation with you mm-hmm. um and thanks Have a great day, I guess. I don't know.